Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face, from workplace relationships and work-life balance to guest interactions and everything in between. we can get started let's do it let's do it and i'm gonna go ride my motorcycle a little bit crossover episode hi everyone i'm alex jump and this is focus on health and today i have with me um another podcast host um co-worker at focus on health i guess you can call it and uh also a guy that does a shitload of other stuff uh josh gandy hi josh Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining me. Um, this has been something we've been talking about for a long time, getting you on here, and I'm happy that we uh, made it happen. So, um, yay. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. Uh, the crossover episode of the Jetstone, Jetsons meeting the Flintstones uh, left a huge imprint on my life, so I hope that this does the same thing for people. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I am still very hopeful that we'll be able to get Margot Price to come on Note to No Proof, and I would still like to do a crossover episode if that happens, but it'll probably be more like me just sitting creepily in the Zoom room, like trying to play it cool. Wearing a cowboy hat, holding a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, I didn't know you play guitar. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for lessons from a very specific person. <laughs> um, well, I guess like where do we, where do we even start really for this episode? Maybe like, um, I guess if people don't know who you are, like maybe we let them know who you are and, and what brought you here today specifically. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm a really good person to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. You're so right. You are <laughs> cool. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so our involvement together right now is, as you said earlier, I'm the host of No Proof, which is a um, podcast started in part because of a conversation I had with you and LP in the beginning. And it was just based on the conversation that what I was uh, going through and working through was a conversation. And it wasn't a conversation that I was having a lot, Um, but the two of you kind of saw that it was one that could be had. And I'm ever thankful that we had that, uh, that phone call that kind of set everything up because what I've learned through all of this is that it was worth talking about and then I should talk about it as much as possible. And what I'm referring to is I uh, became a sober living individual um, almost four years ago come October, which feels like a lifetime now. It feels like when I look uh, beyond those dates, it kind of feels like a ghost story, like I'm telling tales of a person that doesn't really exist anymore, because in a lot of ways, that person um, doesn't. And the relationship that I had with it in the hospitality industry was one that was difficult to navigate, I felt like, in the very beginning. It was something that like, I had thought about, and I had tinkered with, and I had taken the weekends off, and I had taken months off before, but it was never really something that I looked at that could definitely stick. So when I ultimately made the decision to stop drinking fully, I had started posting a little bit here and there on social. And I think that's what um, 
kind of attracted the attention of, of UNLP. And it was the two of you kind of bringing up like, hey, we think that you could be somebody that could uh, contribute to this overall voice of wellness, of good, of open air conversations happening within the industry. And, you know, at the time, I had never considered doing a podcast. I had never really listened to uh, a ton of podcasts. So I was mostly afraid. And uh, if we jump back to like my high school days, if a teacher offered up a writing an essay or doing anything else, I'd be like, I'll do anything else. I'll shoot a video, I'll do whatever. <laughs> so I was kind of like, you know, circling the drain of ideas of what I could do until it came down um, to the podcast, which given the circumstance of, uh, of the year and everyone's comfortability and the way we were communicating, podcasts seemed to work out um, really well. Uh, and from that, I've just been, you know, the host of that podcast, uh, guiding really great conversations with some people that I maybe wouldn't have ever got the chance to uh, chat to otherwise, and then being an overall contributor for, for other things, um, wellness featured through uh, Focus on Health with you guys. Looking to reclaim some of the restorative time that you lost during the last few months? Be sure to check out the pre-shift meditation series brought to you by Beam Suntory's Bourbon Time. It takes place in the last Monday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern, now through September. For more information, please visit fohealth.org. That's really awesome to get to have you. And I feel like, you know, as goes the story for a lot of people in our industry, like, we meet so many really cool people over the years, you know, at the various camps or cocktail conferences or whatever it may be. But like those relationships are often like very superficial because you get to know people over a weekend of excessive um, indulgence and overconsumption and whatever it may be. And not to say that those experiences aren't really fun and really awesome and really amazing. You don't really get to actually know people very well. And like, you don't really make those human connections. Um, and that, you know, and it's just because those relationships take extra effort, right? Like you don't just like all of a sudden become really good friends with anybody in your life based on just like a couple of nights out, like getting really drunk <laughs> and singing karaoke at a bar in Portland, <laughs> Oregon, <laughs> like, um, and so I guess all of that is just to say that getting to, there were plenty of shitty things that happened over the last year, but some of the good things that happened was actually getting to spend time getting to know people that I've had like periphery relationships with over the last however many years um, I've been involved in this industry. And you certainly are one of those people and um, just getting to know people on a more like genuine human level. And I think that the benefit of, what has happened over the last year and certainly the benefit of us getting to start these podcasts was that you kind of like strip away all of the things that we we often like try to act like are very like binding things that bring us together and that being like just the fact that we like make are good at bartending or like and good at our jobs and like have stripped all of that away and instead we're just like who are you as a person and like how do we connect on that level and like yeah I don't know it's just been really awesome uh, so I'm, I'm glad to have gotten to do that over the last year or so yeah I think you're absolutely right and I think like one of like the biggest pieces of discovery that I've had through all of this <clears throat> is what was most helpful to me was 
you know, a pause in my life. It was a moment of reflection. And a lot of it stems from the fact of how I identified, you know, and within the industry, the speed of which it operates, like you identify as a shift and you identify as the post shift and you identify as a weekend. So a lot of what you're talking about is like the, going to those places and being that person, all I was really doing in those moments, I, I feel is I was identifying as like, I am an illumination of a party. And that's the, per that's what you know of me, you know, that on a whim you could probably call and we could do our best to sort of replicate those moments that we had in the past, be it the overconsumption, be it the, the karaoke or those, you know, those little microscopic moments that we put on repeat all the time and probably would have just continued that ad nauseum had I never stopped and reflected. And for me, that came in the form of a sober October, which I had done those things in the past before, but I had looked at it as a, I'm going to hit a quick reset but then by the time that I would get through the month, it would just, it would be like I entered uh, at, at a much faster pace than I had exited um, before. It just everything was back and I took no inventory and I didn't really like look into who I was. And I think like what you're talking about is like we put so much of the job on ourselves, and we make so many assumptions of what the job is of late nights of you have to have a beer after the, the shift and you have to go somewhere after the shift sort of stuff like that, that we never really like take stock and, you know, look inward. And what I saw after that most recent um, sober October that I did was I saw somebody who had the opportunity to be more, to be more of myself and to see who I was, you know, cause I felt like I was a lot of things before I entered uh, the industry and just kind of went pedal to the metal of, of trying to, you know, climb the ladder of whoever it was that I wanted to be in that moment. And, you know, taking just one thing away um, doesn't seem like much, but when that one thing is used every single day without recourse and without, you know, looking into what it's actually doing like i didn't realize like how many things i was i was just kind of like putting on a shelf and not dealing with or not talking about or staying away from or you know just like overall like hiding and cloaking um just because i was doing something that i felt was so ingrained with the industry which is just drinking and whenever yeah. that would happen i have a handful of questions i should probably write them down so that i don't forget them um the first my first question is what in particular like changed in your last, and I also would just like to make a note, you said my most recent sober October, which I think is a really awesome way to say that because that was four years ago and you're like still in your sober October basically. <laughs> yeah. um, and I really love that. But I guess my first question is like, what changed during that sober October in particular that made you feel like that should that that could be like just a continuing path for you. Like what made that one in particular different? Um, did something happen? Had something happened like leading up to that or did your whole, was it just like somehow your mindset changed? Like, what was it? Do you know what it was? I guess it's okay if you don't, I guess. I guess it was a bunch of things happening at once. You know, I was uh, 29 at the time. Um, so, you know, closer to thirties hangovers definitely became something different. It wasn't something that I could just fix with a Gatorade and a greasy cheeseburger. It felt like it was, it became a little bit more like, you know, anxiety ridden. And I was feeling these like feelings of guilt for things that I didn't even do, but knowing that I had, you know, the ability to do it if I were under the influence. Um, it was, 
actually kind of like pausing and looking at the way I felt instead of just saying like, okay, I have a hard date of 30 days where I'm not going to drink. And on, you know, the first day of the next month and I'm just going to drink. And that was the way that I had thought about it before. I was just like, I'm going to get through it and then do this. And it was just like a bunch of small changes of just like, all right, I'm just not going to drink. Just don't drink. And there was a couple of weeks where like that kind of like repeated in my head a bunch of times of like, just don't drink. And then, you know, I guess like my mind maybe got tired of hearing that and it started asking itself questions of just like, well, what would happen if you, you know, you went another day after the month and then like that day became another week. And it was just kind of like, I found myself like saying, all right, well, you won't drink, but you'll maybe just drink at like weddings or you'll, if people come into town, you'll have like some drinks there, but like for the most part, like you're not going to be drinking. And then slowly, but surely like those events and time showed up and I was paying more attention to how I felt, um, you know, which is that, that presence of mind. It's that clarity. Not once had I woken up with a hangover that's like anxiety fueled, uh, my body felt cleaner. Uh, you know, my emotions were, you know, arriving in the, the fashion that they were supposed to, you know, if I was feeling sad, I wasn't, you know, picking up a drink and saying, well, I'll deal with that later. It was just like, well, what's causing me to be sad. And I actually wanted to kind of like sit in those moments for a moment and, you know, being of a sober mind, I was actually able to kind of, you know, think about those things, like as happiness or sadness approached, I knew what the stem was and I knew enough of, you know, what to do with it. Is this passing? Is this something that I should look into? Um, and it was just a number of all those like kind of like small things, but mostly it was instead of just blowing through it, knowing that I was going to go back to life as is, I stopped on day 31 and just thought like, wow, this is the best I've ever felt. So, um, you know, my, my birthday was in January following that October. So it was like, I was going to turn 30. So as I stopped at the end of that October, I was like, why don't you just give yourself the best birthday gift that you could ever think of and continue this feeling for the rest of your life. So it was just like an early birthday gift to myself of just like, you know, emotional presence of mind and uh, clarity and, you know, all of the good that has stemmed from that since then. One really important thing that you said that I just would like to like touch on um, was that you said, if I was feeling sad, I still like, you know, I would sit and think about and, you know, like ruminate on those feelings or whatever. But the thing that you said that I really want to point out is that you're not here saying like, stop drinking and it will fix all of your sad emotions or anxious emotions or depressed emotions. Like you're not here saying get sober and then every day of your life for the rest of your life will be a happy one. And I think that that's just really important to note that like we are human beings and like, there's no one thing that causes us sadness or depression or anxiety, but that you can recognize that by taking away some things that prohibit you from having like peak clarity of mind that you can at least manage those feelings better. I don't know. I just think it's important to note like that nobody is here saying like, being sober will like make you have 100% happy days all of the time. Oh yeah. And I, you know, that's something I had to recognize in myself as well. Um, you know, if you looked at my Google history and like the first three months, a lot of it was like what to expect month one, what to expect month two. 
because it was all so new to me. And, you know, you read a little bit or you hear some people talking about that presence of mind and that clarity, and you almost expect like it's just going to be something that will rise from within you and you'll be able to recognize it in that moment. And the biggest thing that I've kind of taken away from this is like, you know, a lot of sobriety is cliches, but like I really attach to them. And like the biggest one is like, it's one day at a time. And one day at a time, kind of, if you don't really put any thought into it, it just kind of seems like something people say. But from what I've noticed is it's one day at a time. And then you look back at all those days that have progressed until that day that you're on. And that's where the clarity and the presence of mind has really resided for me. Because now I'm able to look back on that person and I'm able to see so much progress and growth. And I see someone who is able to recognize, you know, those moments of sadness or grief and anxiety and even if I didn't know what to do with it at the time, I wasn't just stockpiling it away like I used to. It was just like, all right, these things are here. And, you know, um, you know, if you're in that enough, you're able to see like, well, is this something I should pay more, more attention to? Is this a problem? Is this like a mental health issue that I should be thinking about? Or is this just the fact that like, hey, I'm living in a tough world right now and I don't necessarily know what to do with it. But, you know, I feel much better having that sort of like uncertainty and and putting together some sort of a plan and just instead of saying, we'll get that, we'll get to that later. And then having a drink and letting it disappear until it comes back in a, in an unhealthy fashion. Yeah. And I mean, you know, being able to say one day at a time is, um, a massive relief when you're thinking about like the rest of your life, you know, like I, I think any normal person would feel overwhelmed about the prospect of being told they needed to do any, anything for the rest of their life. Um, so being able to say, I'm just going to do this today, um, is huge. Um, and that goes for a lot of things, not just sobriety, but it's, I think any, anything that is something that we have to overcome or tackle that is difficult, um, is a much more manageable way to deal with it than thinking about it as like infinite terms until the day you die. Oh yeah. I mean, especially with this and even the beginning and that's one of the great takeaways I had with Michael Toscano on the, the second conversation that we had is that we both kind of talked about like in the early days of our sobriety, we kind of looked at it as something that had a finish line that you could mm. complete. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a really bad way to look at it because it, it isn't it, it isn't something that just ends. It's something that you keep growing with and try every day to understand a little bit more. So when you like remove that finish line barrier that doesn't really exist from like your mindset it makes it that much easier to kind of open it up and really think about it as a day-to-day -day process yeah absolutely um so the second question i'm really glad i wrote those wrote these down i could like feel them like leaving out my ear as i was, I was like no um my second question i wanted to ask you and i think that this is probably something that will be um nice for a lot of people to hear that maybe are um, considering their own um, possible journey into sobriety in our industry is like, did you, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, but it could, it could be no, but you know, did you struggle with your own sense of like work identity as you became sober in this industry? And if so, how reflecting on that now, how do you, how did you manage those struggles? Um, as a sober person who works in the liquor industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier the, about the identity and the things that we put on ourselves where we kind of identify as the job instead of the person working the job. And, you know, in the very beginning, because I had never once thought about what 
you know, a position in this field would look like as somebody who didn't consume like the one thing they actively talk about and interact with every single day, uh, really freaked me out. And I started having those kind of like fight or flight moments. Um, I could have easily like cut and ran. I could have just said, this is not for me. And I thought a lot about like the line of just like, you can't heal an environment that hurt you. Um, and what I had to recognize in that is like, it wasn't necessarily the environment. It was the way that I interacted with the environment. It was user error. And what I had to fix was myself. Um, so when I kind of like had that realization, I was like, cool, if you can do this, then you can do anything. You can, it wasn't the drinking that put you in this position that you are. It wasn't the drinking that put you in these articles or had people come to you and ask you questions about this sort of thing. Um, and I also thought about like the, the hospitality industry as a whole and what it has really given me, which is a lot of uh, uh, really great relationships. It has taken me places and not once was ever, did I ever get those opportunities because someone was like, wow, look how much that guy can drink on a Friday. We should invite him to go do this stuff you kind of have to just sit with yourself and be like, wow, you know what, even though uh, I'm going through a tough time right now, I was able to work really hard and put a lot of work into, you know, what I know and what I can teach and even more so like what I can continue to learn and all of this. So I kind of made it my goal to continue to be the best like bar person that I could within this industry and also kind of like shine that light of like, you don't have to identify as the parts that you think are uh you know a bad representation of yourself in this field and i was just like thinking a lot about like you know what do i do about like tasting and buying and all of that and there's there's ways around it i mean when i stopped drinking i didn't forget what everything tasted like that i had had before and there's you know tasting and and spitting is one way to do it and leaning on my team was another big thing because i was managing a bar at the time and seeing the shift of like the way that I thought about cocktail creation and all of that was like, I always worked in a really great like team environment, but I kind of felt like I was taking a little bit more of a step back in like a curatorial role and, you know, working with everybody to just like, how can we piece all this together? And I wanted to hear way more feedback from them than I maybe had uh, in the past. And it was just like little steps uh, along the way of just like, is this something that's freaking me out right now is that someone's giving me anxiety well what is it about it how can we reframe it how can we retool it how can I lean on people for help uh if I need it in these opportunities but you know back to your basic question yeah it was very scary in the in the beginning and it wasn't until like I really started thinking about how I actually um live in the hospitality world where I was like it's worth staying in it and if I just need to figure out a few things to to make myself feel comfortable yeah, absolutely. And I had this thought of like, you know, thank goodness you did decide to stay because I, you know, sober individuals in our industry are very few and far between. And I think that if we look back on the last 30 years in our industry, we can see like the ramifications of that. We can see the, the influence that not having different people that live different lifestyles in our, in our industry has had, and it's not a great one. Um, you know, the whole reason that I started focused on health as part of my, you know, canvas project for most imaginative bartender was that my platform for the entire competition was that I'm tired of seeing people in our industry that we highly respect and love and adore die um, because 
this industry doesn't create environments for people to take care of themselves. So, you know, it's a, it's awesome, I guess is the best way to say it, that you decided to stay in this industry because I think it's really important for, you know, the generations to come to see people in our industry that live different lifestyles and can, and live sober lifestyles and work in this industry to not make them feel like it's not possible. Um, and that, like you said, it's like, yeah, you don't need to be defined by your job just because you're a bartender doesn't mean you need to be like that caricature of a bartender. Um, you can be a diverse person, I guess. Yeah. And I like, even at the times when I was kind of like considering it, you know, I was like, is this something that I can do? Like, can I do this? You know, you think about the people that say things like you never trust a skinny chef. I was like, I've got the question of, can I do this? But then there's also the thing of like, will people take me seriously? And the, the answer is ultimately yes. I mean, like yeah. when I was questioning myself in that regard, that was still a version of myself that was like making excuses for, you know, the future, you know, making plans for a version of myself that didn't exist yet. Um, so yeah, the answer is yes, you absolutely can. And I think it definitely helps. I, I know more people now that I've been down this path and part of this journey to be able to look to and kind of say like, wow, there are people within the industry that are doing this and they're doing this really well and they're speaking out. You know, organizations like Ben's Friends is really great as well to just kind of shine a light. It's just like, hey, there are more than just you out there. You don't have to feel so alone in this. But there was like one defining moment where I, before I got sober that kind of made me feel like, oh, wow, like it just comes down to language. I was actually at uh, Camp Runamuck and Nectali Mendoza was there. And, you know, at camp, like everything is sponsored. So everyone is like a representation of like their sponsored cabin. And so they're like, do you want to try this bottle? It's brand new. We, we're the only ones that have it right now. Uh, so it's just like the opportunity to taste everything. And I was walking alongside Nectali and just hearing him say, no, thanks. I don't drink. And then the look that people had, I'm just like, oh, okay. And it just felt so commonplace that I hadn't like heard it in that simple of terms yet. That I was just like, that's all I have to do. I just tell people I, I don't drink and like for the most part, they're going to be okay with it. Like, okay. And then that was the same year that like, you know, I ultimately decided to do the sober October that took. That was, so that was before your sober October. That was the summer before you. So yeah. that was obviously something that was already kind of like ruminating in your mind of like, I, this is something that I'm considering. And like, so, I mean, yeah. So basically you just said that, like seeing a sober bartender of beloved, like well-respected bartender say he was sober was like a validation for you that you could. Yeah. That it, Cause it was something that I thought about. It was an idea that was cooking, but like, I had never like, that was kind of like what put like the serious imprint on it of knowing like it was possible. It was seeing somebody out there that was still, you know, still making the news and still somebody that was ultimately talked about. I was like, okay, if I make this decision, like everything I know and love doesn't just die on me one day. Like I can still continue to be without drinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my last question for you um, that, that I wrote down while you were talking um, is I'm like thinking of the right way to phrase it, but like, you know, I guess like I, my, there's a, there's always like reasons to not stop drinking. Right. There's always like, oh, well, it's this person's birthday and then it's the 4th of July. And then 
my parents are coming to town and I want to take them out to dinner. And, you know, it's like kind of like, you can kind of like accumulate a reason for every week of the year for like why you can't not drink. Um, and then, uh, you know, similarly, I think, you know, within everybody's own experiences, there's like, you know, what we would define as, you know, like hurdles or like blockers to not drinking. And like the first one that kind of came to mind when you were talking for me was like, your relationship with your partner. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask you if it's not too personal of a question, like does your wife still drink? Um, and I know that, I think you all have a roommate as well, right? Maybe, am I making that up? We did, we did for the you first did. part of the pandemic. Okay, and so I guess I'm just curious, like how how has that relationship been for you? And, and this is a very personal question because every single person's experience is different and what they need what they need for their sobriety is very different. But if you're open to sharing, I'm just curious how that's been for you. Yeah, uh, so the roommate was my brother and his wife. We extracted them from Australia at the very beginning of the pandemic last year. Gotcha. So we had a full house for a few months. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they play into this as well. My wife still drinks, they, uh, they drink as well. And um, in the very beginning, it, it took me being vocal with my wife of just saying, um, cause you know, she had been with me when I did like you know, sober months in the past. And like I said, she just kind of knew that like when it was over, I would go back to drinking or whatever. Um, but we're really lucky because like our, our relationship is, you know, we would go out to dinner and we would always have like wine and drinks and finish with tomorrow and stuff like that. Um, but none of that really changed. Like we would still go to the same places. And part of that was like, how can I be comfortable in these places? I don't want to remove happiness from my wife's life just because I'm making some changes. So like, in some ways I was like, how do we keep this as normal as possible and make sure that, you know, everything still feels normal and real to her while I'm, you know, trying this out. And it was just me being like really vocal of just like, I think I'm taking seriously this time. I think it's going to be something that, that sticks. And I was also fortunate to where like, I wasn't really having any like really intense cravings and, uh, you know, different for other people. I didn't feel like the, the places that I would go into where I would usually have a drink, I didn't feel like I needed to immediately run away. Um, but a lot of that came down to just talking about it. It was just like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I would like feel myself having to say out loud, like, I'm not going to order a drink here. And even if she already knew that like, I wouldn't be drinking because I've outwardly said, you know, I don't drink. It was just kind of important to lay that out. And that helps if like, you know, the bartender that knew me is the, the person that would order wine there. Like they would be able to stop asking me, you know, it was kind of like having those relationships with the, the people that I knew around town of just like, they knew to not offer, they would just like immediately pour me a sparkling water or whatever. So it was just like, it was that weird sort of like things that were usually already in motion, making those minor changes uh, meant that we didn't really have to talk about it. And it wasn't something that I like didn't not want to talk about or anything like that. It was just like for it to feel normal in my relationship with my wife, like everything kind of like had to feel the same way that it did before. And just like, you know, wine is replaced by sparkling water and stuff like that. But, you know, in the house, I would still play host. So the same thing that I was doing, like behind the bars, the things that I would do at home, like she's still on the couch we'll have a drink that I made after dinner or something like that. When my brother and his wife were living together, I was still buying alcohol for the house uh, to be able to make, you know, those drinks on the weekends and stuff like that. So that wasn't too much of an issue of like wanting to make drinks and not feeling like I couldn't partake because I 
try to keep my house stocked well enough for those moments where I do want to you know, go through the motions and make something for myself, even though, uh, you know, a bulk of what I consume these days is just water. But yeah. I, I will say to, to all of that, it's just, it was really important uh, having that conversation and keeping the conversation going of just like setting those reminders for myself of I'm not going to order a drink when I'm here or just letting my wife know like how I was feeling. Like, you know, if I was feeling overly tempted or something like that, I'd say like, well, maybe we should go eat somewhere else. Uh, today or I'll cook or something like that but for the most part I feel very lucky that I didn't have really intense cravings and even though I was really kind of uncomfortable in the like the first couple months with everything because it was all internal it was still when I was going through that struggle of like well people take me seriously it was just as I was working through that I kind of had to make that steadfast decision for myself and it what became really important was going from somebody who said like is not drinking to somebody who does not drink like that was a really big divide yeah. for me and what that meant was uh, proclaiming my new identity to everybody because if I didn't announce that I'm still the same version of myself that everybody knew before if like, I was the person that would go and the have... day that you are no longer not drinking yeah it's like one day that that would end or something yeah I had to I had to make that announcement because if they knew me as the person that I could grab a drink with and I, you know, I would go share a bottle of wine with him. Like that's who I was until I came out and said, I don't drink. So now they knew that they could still hang out with me. It's just, I wouldn't be sharing the bottle with them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, our time is uh, coming to an end, believe it or not, it always flies by. Um, Things fly. Yeah, they really do. Um, I get, would love to wrap it up with, um, just asking you to share a piece of advice for anybody listening who um, is, you know, in our industry, works in our field and is, or maybe even who doesn't, maybe just like a, a person who enjoys our industry and is considering um, being sober. What advice would you like to share? Um, I feel like I've got some really great shared advice from everybody because that's a, it's a similar question to what I ask at the end of my episodes. And it's, uh, you know, everybody's absolutely right. I've heard everything from uh, if you think you have a problem, you probably do um, to make sure that you are doing it for yourself first and for no one else. Um, and that if you are even leaning on making the stop, making the jump, taking a night off, a round off, taking it all off all together, then try it and do it and lean on people when you can. Um, you should never feel like you have to go this thing alone. There are resources, there are people, there is my emails out on uh, every single episode of No Proof that goes out and I can be reached at any given time. Mm -hmm. And every single person that's been on my show has said the exact same thing. So there are people that want to help and there are people that want to talk. And when you are uh, alone and it's just in your mind, that's the toughest it's ever going to feel. Um, but if you know, you're feeling bad, that's the worst you ever have to feel for the rest of your life, probably, if you just make that decision and uh, just go for it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how can people find you? They can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Gandhi. Um, you can link to me through any of the episodes of no proof, which is wherever you get podcasts. Um, they can find me through, uh, focus on health.org. Awesome. F O health.org. Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Um, I hope you have a great week. You too. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we got to do this. Me too. Thanks, Josh. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every other Monday for new episodes, and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.